0: Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code universe at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And by Audible. Audible has over 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free 30-day trial at audible.com/universe. think there's no such thing as life on Mars? Don't tell the folks of Hawthorne Avenue in Newark, New Jersey. They saw it firsthand, and it nearly killed them. It was after dark on an October evening when 20 families on the block ran in terror from their homes and began loading their possessions onto the roofs of their cars. They were holding wet handkerchiefs over their mouths, which made it hard to understand what they were shouting about when an ambulance and three police cars converged on the scene. But when the officers managed to calm a few of the residents down, they learned that they were evacuating because of the meteor that had just landed nearby. A meteor that turned out to be a spacecraft from Mars in disguise. Already, the Martians were marauding over the countryside, killing anyone they could find with death rays and wiping out the rest with poison gas. The wet handkerchiefs would probably not work against extraterrestrial poisons, but it was all the poor folks of Hawthorne Avenue had. And they weren't the only ones trying to stay a step ahead of the murderous Martians. All across New Jersey and New York, people were flooding police headquarters with terrified calls. In Chicago, New Orleans, Baltimore, and Fayetteville, North Carolina, the panic spread as well. One brave man in San Francisco, safe for the moment from the devastation unfolding on the East Coast, called the police and asked, where can I volunteer my services? We've got to stop this awful thing. The awful thing, as it turned out, was no thing at all. The year was 1938 and the hysteria was the result of a mere radio play, a dramatization of H.G. Wells' celebrated novel War of the Worlds, updated from Victorian England to 20th century New Jersey. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre on the Air in the War of the World by H.G. Webb. With make-believe radio broadcasts from the scene describing the attacks. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. But the scripted silliness touched something primal. I'm Jeffrey Kluger, and this is Time Magazine's podcast, It's Your Universe. Today, we're talking about the planet Mars. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your website stand out with Squarespace. Squarespace offers customizable designs so that you can easily tailor your website to fit your needs. With their drag-and-drop tools and modern templates, you'll build a site that looks professionally designed, regardless of skill level. No coding required. Plus, you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code UNIVERSE to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Mars is a planet with a day just a little longer than our own, close to 25 hours. Think what you could do with an extra hour. But even if you don't find one, let Audible entertain you with the time you do have. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from. Take Audible with you when you're on the go by listening on your smartphone, computer, or tablet. Listen to books such as Starlight Detectives, How Astronomers, Inventors, and Eccentrics Discovered the Modern Universe by Alan Hirschfeld. Starlight Detectives delves into the backstories of the ambitious dreamers behind the birth of modern astronomy. Find this book or other books of all genres at audible.com. As a special offer to my listeners, you can get a free 30-day trial today by signing up at audible.com universe. That's audible.com universe. Mars has long thrilled us and terrified us in equal measure. It hangs in the sky, blood red and nearby, and the more closely we study it, the more it seems to be up to something. Most of the other planets appear more or less the same every time we look at them. The Moon and Venus might go through their waxing, waning, and crescent phases, but once we figured out that that did not mean that a dragon was eating them and regurgitating them every month, a perfectly sensible theory until you know better, we quit worrying. But something fishy was happening on Mars. It had ice caps that grew and shrank over the course of the Martian year. It had what seemed to be dark and light patches that changed as well. Surely seasonal vegetation and maybe even somebody's crops. It had, most remarkably, what appeared to be canals. And if you didn't believe that, you could ask the astronomers Giovanni Schiparelli and Percival Lowell. Schiparelli saw them first in 1877, and Lowell later mapped them and both men had a pretty good idea why they were there. Certainly, they were the work of an advanced civilization that dug the canals to irrigate the drier parts of their planet. Lowell wrote this, "...a mind of no mean order would seem to have presided over the system we see, a mind certainly of considerably more comprehensiveness than that which presides over the various departments of our own public works." Of course, a planet that needed such extreme measures must also be a dying planet. And the beings who live there would naturally be tempted to conquer and claim the bigger, better, wetter world just next door. Earth. And so the myths of a dangerous Mars were born. Mars and the human race have a history that goes back even longer than that. The planet was observed by the ancient Egyptians and Babylonians, the Greeks and the Chinese, and every civilization that followed. Its red color, visible to the naked eye, was always its most distinctive feature. The Chinese called Mars the Fire Star. The Egyptians gave it a name that simply means the Red One. In Greece and Rome, it was named after the god of war. Ares in the Greek pantheon and Mars in the Roman when its small, asteroid-like moons were discovered, they were named Phobos and Deimos for fear and panic, the names of the horses said to pull the chariot of Ares. But for all its fearsome reputation, the truth is that Mars is not a menacing world. It is, if anything, a tragic world, a world that was beautiful once and could have been one of the solar system's greats, It had water, vast oceans and rivers worth, it had an atmosphere, it surely had clouds and weather and likely rain and snow, and it might, just might, have had life. Mars today is a great frozen desert. Its atmosphere stripped, its water boiled off, its soil gone slowly red as the iron in it oxidized. Earth became a foundry for life. Mars is the rusted wreck next door. And yet the planet may still stir. Most of the water may be gone, but not all of it. Most of the air may have sputtered into space, but a thin atmosphere remains. And if there were ever Martian organisms, most of them surely perished, but most may not mean all. In a few ways, Mars is an even more remarkable world than Earth is. It's only half the size of our planet, but it's home to the largest volcanic mountain in the solar system, Olympus Mons, which rises 15 miles high, or about three times taller than Mount Everest, and is as wide at its base as the state of Arizona. Mars also holds the solar system record for largest canyon, the Valles Marineris which is 10 times longer than our modest Grand Canyon. If it were transplanted to Earth, it would stretch from New York to Los Angeles. Mars is striking for its very similarity to Earth as well. A Martian day, or sol, is 24 hours and 40 minutes long, a near match for our 24 hours and the planet is inclined at an angle of 25 degrees, a near match too for our 23 degrees, which on both worlds gives us seasons. Both planets, too, are in the solar system's so-called habitable zone, just close enough to the sun that water can exist in a liquid state, but not so close that it all boils away. All over Mars, spacecraft have detected ancient sea floors and riverbeds, Dry deltas and alluvial fans, stamped and etched into the surface by flowing and pooling water. But it's a sad fact of science that that water is no more. And it's Mars's small size that is mostly to blame. Earth's 8,000-mile diameter makes it a big planet by the modest standards of the inner solar system. That gives it a commensurately large liquid core made of iron and nickel, which swirls and churns like a pot on the boil. That's a very good thing for Earth, because moving metal behaves like a dynamo, producing a magnetic field that surrounds our planet. As the solar wind, the storm of charged particles that stream from the sun, reaches the Earth, the magnetic field deflects them, Without that protection, the charged particles would slowly strip away the atmosphere the way sandblasting wears down a brick. Mars had a magnetic field once too, but the planet's small size caused it to lose its internal heat relatively quickly, which partly solidified the core, shutting down the dynamo. The planetary cooling would have happened from the outside in, causing the crust to contract eventually it would tear open leaving the vast scar that is the Valles Marineris once mars's magnetic field was gone the solar wind wasted no time clawing at the atmosphere worse there was a heavy bombardment phase early in the solar system's history Every time a meteorite hit Mars, more of its atmosphere was blasted into space. The planet's weak gravity, only 40% of Earth's, was powerless to hold on to its air. The bursting of Mars's atmospheric balloon did not happen overnight. It took a good 500 million years before most of the air had leaked away. But when it was gone, The planet was left with an atmosphere just 1% as dense as Earth's, 96% of which is carbon dioxide, with a few breaths of argon and nitrogen stirred in. As for oxygen, the element that is essential for life on Earth? Just a little more than one-tenth of a percent. It's that near vacuum that caused most of the planet's water to flash evaporate, and the rest either to retreat underground or freeze in great ice caps at the poles. Still, what's left is a lot. The south polar cap alone contains enough water to flood the entire planet to a depth of 36 feet, if you could melt it, which you can't, Given Mars's year-round average temperature of 60 degrees below zero and its polar temperatures of 225 degrees below. Mars does have its balmy moments, occasionally reaching a shirt sleeves temperature of 70 degrees, though you'd have to travel to the Martian equator at high noon in midsummer to experience them. That fluctuation in temperature coupled with the natural heating and cooling cycle of a sunrise and sunset every 12 hours, operates the same way it does on Earth, which is to produce winds. Those in turn give rise to dust storms that may last months and cover the entire planet. It is those spreading and retreating dust clouds that Schiaparelli and Lowell might have mistaken for seasonal vegetation, which helps redeem the old astronomers a little, though nothing excuses the canals, which were probably just a result of tired eyes and wishful thinking. Still, despite the absence of such imaginary features, despite what we know today of Mars's cold, arid, freeze-dried awfulness, the planet may yet have a pulse. In the decades since 1964, When NASA's Mariner 4 became the first spacecraft to fly by Mars, humanity has returned to the Red Planet again and again, with the U.S., Russia, Europe, and most recently India throwing dozens more spacecraft Mars' way. Currently, seven active probes are operating on or above the planet, including two American rovers, creating a web of robotic science labs that count as nothing short of otherworldly infrastructure. And there's a good reason they're all there. The governing rule for scientists looking for life on other worlds is follow the water. And that makes sense. Water is the universal solvent for biological processes. And while its presence doesn't guarantee that life will be found, its absence all but guarantees it won't. Rovers sniffing the chemistry of Mars's old riverways and seabeds have detected the presence of salts, sulfates, and other materials that can form only in the presence of water, and that indicate not only that the region was wet once, but that it was wet for a long time, as much as a billion years, which was more than enough time for life to get started on Earth. More important, the spacecraft have also found not just the fingerprints of ancient water, but tantalizing signs that active water still trickles on the surface today. In 2012, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter returned images of what appeared to be dark streaks flowing down hillsides during Martian springs and summers, looking for all the world like trails of water from hidden aquifers that thawed and bubbled out as the temperature rose and then retreated and evaporated. Last October, more analyses from orbit determined that those markings contained hydrated salts which form only in water, sealing the deal for a Mars with a damp surface and an interior that may brim with hidden wells. That news was nothing short of huge. If earthly organisms have proven one thing, it's that life is stubbornly, tenaciously resourceful. Stomp it out in a valley and it takes to the hills. Level the hills and it takes to the sky. Carpet bomb everything for miles around and it will just retreat underground. Life on Earth has been found in the most improbable places. Locked in permafrost, nestled in the matrix of dry desert rocks, dancing around the plumes of deep-sea vents where temperatures reach 700 degrees Fahrenheit. If Mars indeed cooked up something living during its billion balmy years, there would be no reason that some of those organisms, at least the microbes, wouldn't have adapted the same way, finding a way to make a perfectly warm, safe, watery living underground. For now it will be machines like the Mars rover that go looking for those signs. But the hope has long been that astronauts will follow, that it will be a human hand that turns over the rock or sifts through the sample or shines the flashlight into the cave and reveals that our great collective nightmare, that we are entirely alone in a cold, dead cosmos, is indeed just a bad dream that right next door there's more life still, and who knows how much more in the planets and galaxies and universe beyond. In the summer of 1996, the world stood still when NASA announced that a meteorite from Mars that landed in Antarctica contained what appeared to be the fossilized remains of a Martian bacterium, And life on Mars headlines exploded everywhere. Bill Clinton was president at the time, and so it fell to him to gather the press and speak to the nation about the epical thing that seemed to have happened. Rock 84001 speaks to us across all those billions of years and millions of miles. It speaks of the possibility of life. If this discovery is confirmed, it will surely be one of the most stunning insights into our universe that science has ever uncovered. Its implications are as far-reaching and awe-inspiring as can be imagined. Even as it promises answers to some of our oldest questions, it poses still others even more fundamental. Ultimately, the finding wasn't confirmed. As so often happens in science, Doubts were raised and evidence was presented, and the bacterial fossil was dismissed by most as a creation of microscopic geology, not biology. Still, even the false alarm got heartbeats racing and dreamers dreaming. And if President Clinton's words said a great deal, the setting said more. On that clear summer day, he convened the press on the White House's south lawn, not far from the rose garden, a tended patch that is nothing short of a riot of colorful life. But with the explosion of flowers and trees and plants everywhere, the focus of the gathered crowd and the tens of millions watching on TV was not on the extant life right in front of them, but a tiny sign of maybe life locked in a very dead rock. It is a measure of our need for cosmic company that so bare a clue and so very much. And it's a sign of the tenacity of the particular life form that is human beings that will keep looking for more clues, more signs. We'll search for life throughout the cosmos, yes, but we'll search first and most fondly on the broken little world right next door, Mars. Join me next week when we visit Jupiter, the solar system's ruling giant with the great red spot. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeffrey Kluger. I'm Jeffrey Kluger, and this has been Time Magazine's It's Your Universe, produced by Panoply.